but I'm going to, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to rip Craig apart. I'm just <laughs> right out of fucking gate. So totally. Thanks for checking out Party Like a Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Joel Miller. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. There's no vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher perev, and 100% vegan. Enjoy the show. All right, let's get into it. So, Nick Rucker is a musician, producer, and sound engineer based out of Asheville, North Carolina. He's been the front of house engineer for heavy metal band Steel Panther since 2006. Jesus, second, long. Sorry, go ahead. Ever and ever, man. Forever. They were just little boys back then, those guys. Actually, it's probably a bad one since they're like an 80s hair band. They'll probably be like, no, they were still had long hair back then. All right. My second guest is my old neighbor, Craig. The only thing hotter than the house full of ladies that live next door to us was Craig himself. Always the wow. small spoon. He would coddle my balls <laughs> only the way an ex-catfish farmer would know how to do. I close my eyes on, atten- <laughs> on attention. I close my eyes on occasion. And can still picture him crossing back over the driveway, always in a rush to snuggle up with the many garbage bags of Taco Bell sauce that he hoarded. Mm, A gentle man of many talents, Craig not surprisingly found himself sneaking his way into the noble profession of music. (laughs) Craig Jenkins has worked for... Uh, actually, he's worked as a tour manager, front of house and monitor engineer, and a tour bus driver. He's worked for Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls, Lucero, Mad Caddies, Chuck Reagan, Flogging Molly, Lagwagon, Old Man Markley, Pacific, Black Pacific, which is a side project of Jim's from Pennywise, and A Bloom, a side project with members of Snot, Soulfly, and One Side Zero. Craig himself owned and operated Velvet Jones a bar and music venue out of Santa Barbara from 2000 to 2019. How are you guys doing? Good, man. I I I miss you guys. Strip club DJ inflections while telling that story. That's lovely. I did what? Your strip club DJ inflections on telling that story. You know what? I'm getting it down. I got the important (laughs) part. I was even, I even slowed down. I'm like, I closed my eyes on occasion. Yeah. Well, and to clarify, those Taco Bell sauces were my my roommate Dave's. Those had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Have you heard this? That was actually my intro here, but I was like, so tell me about Drew Barrymore. Does she love Taco Bell sauce? Mm. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, Drew Barrymore, her and Justin Long came by the club one night randomly uh, when we were closed. I think we ran in, and then Donald, who Nick and I both know, right, used to run my bar, uh, I think took him out to the bowling alley, or maybe they met the bowling alley, came to the bar, I don't know. But yeah. I heard went to a party with him. Oh yeah, no. Well, I mean, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was just no. at my club that I watched on the security tape afterwards. Well, that was a boring story. Thanks, Craig. I know. Good start, Joel. <laughs> a crappy start. Anyway, <laughs> go back to him like snuggling up with me. But uh, so, do, do you know the Taco Bell story, Nick? No, I don't. But I can tell by the the length of the bio that you wrote, you read for Craig, that you guys have a friendship relationship, whereas he and I had a boss employee. Oh. Uh, relationship for you know five or six years and then friends after that so 
But yeah, no, I never heard the Taco Bell sauce. Yeah, Joel, Joel used to live yeah. across the street from me when we were in IV, 6624 Posado, if I remember correctly. And Damn, you're good. Time, um, loved hoarding Taco Bell hot sauces to the point where we had about eight or nine like trash bags full in our garage. Black trash bags, like Black the hefty like lawn ones. ones. And, uh, and those, I kind of remember the day we had to get rid of them. It was like it was over vacation. And I was in town working and Dave had gone home and we had ants everywhere. We just had to get rid of this shit. But I mean, it was known throughout Isla Vista. They changed, they changed Taco Bell where they didn't have any of the sauce out front anymore. You had to ask for it at the counter because of Dave. Because of Dave. Yeah. He made that rule change. But this dude, (laughs) yes. When when you got rid of the sauce, you gave it to Dexter Holland. He bottled it and made his gringo bandito. Is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. We We were his inspiration. We were but dude, Dave didn't right. talk to me for like three months after we got rid of that because he wasn't there and we did. He came back and was gone. He was just like so pissed off. So Craig, who lived with me, who then lived with you later, I I was hoarding beer cans. I filled the garage filled with beer cans. I had that and all the people would come by. Can we have your beer cans? No, fuck off. You know, I was really proud of it. I loved it. Well, Craig moved in and the next day he gave all my cans away. And Which I would. I never huh? moved in with you. Craig Which Adams. Craig? Oh, Craig Adams. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm livid, dude. I had probably a hundred bucks worth. I don't know. I had $3,000 worth of cans. I mean, it was two cars worth of cans. And uh, he gave them all away. I was Superman. These are the college crap that you get into the, you know, the clear focuses. But this dude, Dave, actually, I don't remember if you remember this. So he, he was a kooky guy, but he, he was like, he's, he's a great dude. And um, he, um, he got in this thing where they had the they had Gatorade and you could look you if you opened it up and the bottle said you're a winner, you would get like Michael Jordan playing cards and duffel bags. And I don't know. Did you ever hear about any of this, Craig? You know no. where I'm going with this? So he ha- he he realizes that if it's watermelon or lemon, you can look through the bottom and see if it's a winner. <laughs> OK, yeah, all right. So, so Dave shows me and I'm kind of like holy shit so i steal my buddy's car literally just took it without telling me he was at school so we went over to his house the big house you're gonna remember and i took the keys this guy patrick and dave and i drove to every 7-eleven and supermarket convenience store everything we could find from santa barbara to la and we bought all the winners but what was great was (laughs) they'd have these in the store uh, the what do you call like n units or something there's a special name for it where they stack everything up to look real pretty Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we in the beginning we were kind of looking like did we do it and like the answer is yes of course but by like the third store there was no question we would just rush in and just start ripping the displays apart trying to find the winners i think we spent like three four hundred bucks on gatorade but it was so much fun man jesus christ yeah. now that that definitely rings a bell i love dave uh he and i lived together for the better part of college but um it was moving on to people that we all know uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah Nick, right. when did we meet nick well, that, that wasn't until uh, was it at uh orange whip or was it after that this, this might have been my show hold on a minute here yeah no i'm not here to talk I, to you Joel. No one cares when did you me. first meet craig <laughs> <laughs> ask the I right questions going i want to do your fucking job for you oh my god this fucking guy i, I, I might have actually been in his bar before i was 21 um Oh, not, don't say that. <laughs> no, not not to drink, but to uh, to like drop off a PA system or, or work sound. There was a how long have you been doing COVID. sound? How long were you doing uh, sound before? 
I started at maybe 16 or 17. There was a dude in, in Santa Barbara who put on a festival at the uh, old Spanish days, that fiesta thing that goes on in Daily Guerra Plaza. Sure. And so he would like train up young kids who were interested in, in production. Um, were you interested so, in sound specifically or were you interested in any kind of production? Don't know. Sound specifically, um, because I was playing in punk bands when I was a kid. There was an all ages club called the Living Room back then. So you and played guitar? I played, or what you... I played drums, guitar, kind of whatever. I, I was in so many bands in high school, just whatever, where, wherever I could play and whatever I could play. Worst band name. What was your worst band name in high school? The worst band name was, yeah. was worst and also the best, but was, was the Savoir Faire Pistol Pocket Dance Band. And this was like an 11 piece swing band back in. <laughs> if you remember in the late the late 90s, there was a resurgence of swing with Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Squirrel sure. Nut Zippers and those kinds of bands. So, yeah, we were doing that thing and, and we were playing up and down State Street, like still in high school. Um, did you have yeah, an that, abbreviation or did you use the whole name? We use the whole name all the time. Wow. I don't think Craig could spell that well. No, no, that was before my time because I didn't meet Nick until. Yeah, you met Craig and the name of the band was Band. That was Band. band. I guess they did have the band already. All right. So you're you're 16, 17. You start doing sound all the time. You're obviously drinking the Kool-Aid. You like it. So you met Craig and you started to work at Velvet Jones or. Yeah, well, it. When I was like 18 or 19, I was working at a place called Yucatan, which was up the street. That was 1117 State Street. Remember that? And uh, Joey Cape's labeled partner, Jessica, was the promoter there. And uh, she used to promote, God, all up and down state. So I'd see her when I was a kid. You know, I'd be walking up and down the street, just killing time on State Street. And she'd be in there cleaning the bar, smoking cigarettes out front or whatever. And... So she and I became tight when I was a little kid because I'd be I'd, I would work her shows because um, that place happened to be all ages. And then uh, Craig was at Wildcat. So I, I sort of knew of him. But when uh, Wildcat started, is a bar, it was it was a bar lounge, uh, basically the, the place for for the kids, you know, DJ dancing, all that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I think w- once he opened Velvet Jones and once I was 21, I started sort of coming in there regularly, uh, would bring my bands in there. Um, I think I went away for a period of time, but then came back. I think I might have gone on tour with, with one of my bands. But yeah, that was that was the only place to play for rock and roll for, for a number of years. Once um, Yucatan shut down, uh, there wasn't really an, an, another spot on state where you could see live music that was... Mm you know, punk and rock for, for, for all that time. Um, and then unless you got to a much, much bigger venue. Right. Santa Barbara Bowl. Santa Barbara Bowl or the Arlington. Um, yeah. So that was pretty much it. So if you were, if you were 500 or less in a, in a town like Santa Barbara, the velvet was pretty much the, the spot. So was ugly kid Joe too small to play in your band there? They couldn't get enough people. <laughs> I think <laughs> Didn't they play? I don't even know if they, they, if they existed back then. I think they were on hiatus for the whole time. Yeah, they, they've been on they, hiatus a lot of years, I think. Because yeah. they were done around the, in the late '90s, and we didn't start until December of 2000. And so, it was, I mean, but then, but I mean, I, I think uh, you know, Santa Barbara was really trying to position itself, like at least at that time. And, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was kind of positioning itself to to be kind of the next resurgence of like a of a, of a mini Seattle with all the bands that we had coming out of it. I would I mean, totally. There was a, there was a, What's that? Yeah, there was that like late 90s 
early to, to late 90s. So you had Dishwalla was all over the radio. Toe the Wet Sprocket had been on the radio since, since the early 90s. Uh, Summer Camp got signed. Uh, Stegosaurus was another band that got signed. You had like the Sugar Colts, that mm -hmm. whole scene, the Marco DeSantis, um, everything he was involved in. So there was like a lot of buzz and there was a lot of Lagwagon, right? Lagwagon sounds yeah. Lagwagon on the heavier side. Then you had Snot and later on Devil Driver. And uh, I mean, we were just cranking out one, I thought, in my opinion, one great band after another. And I just felt like the timing was like we were in the right place at the right time. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I had a couple of the Devil Driver roadies on here and it was kind of funny. I'm like, so I read that Justin Bieber was going to do a duet with your band. Um, <laughs> and the guy's like, seriously? <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> Oh man. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Devil Driver. They're good. Oh, and they were they came from that band called Groby and they were always playing the Velvet. Um oh, yeah. and then their original guitarist Evan, he and I were in a band when I was about 16. Oh we no shit. All right. Together. Yeah. Yeah. And are you so now you're out of Asheville though? Yeah, I just moved there uh, in the pandemic. Um I'd been in LA since about 2009 basically as soon as Panther started touring properly I quit the band I was playing in and have been doing that full-time basically for just over 10 years we've been you know they they said to me hey we got we're gonna go do download festival in the UK the record's coming out on Universal and it's it's fucking go time so that was my career choice was just hop on that train and see how far we go and it's still going um do they make you wear makeup no, thankfully I get to do whatever I want. And it's a it's a great gig and they're a great bunch of guys. And yeah. I've gotten to grow so much uh technically, personally. Um, I've gotten to see the world and then, you know, got to say goodbye to LA because it started fucking sucking major dick in the in the pandemic. And now I live someplace that's really pretty and so far I'm super happy there. Yeah, my girlfriend's actually going there on vacation soon. You want to hang out with her? You can. Yeah, send her on over. Yeah. Send her over. Yeah, send I'll her over. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna sign you up. But uh <laughs> on a more important actually, so Steel Panther, they used to be the house band on Sunset when I was uh, when I was a kid. Actually, I think it was after college, but uh they were the house band, they were played there every week. Super fun because you never knew who would sit in, and it was everybody. So you could, it was interesting what they had formed in that every show was different, even though it's the same shtick with the guy messing with his hair at the time. I don't know if he's still doing the same thing, but he has the mirror the entire time. You didn't know who was sitting with him. It'd be Scott Ian. It, it could be Tommy Lee. It could be like Brett Michaels or Ricky Rocket or whatever. And they were all sit in and play with these guys on a weekly basis. So you didn't know who would come. And it was fun because they'd be looking around and they'd see somebody in the audience and be like, come on, motherfucker. And the guy would be like, oh, all right, all right, all right. Super, super neat. The thing that was also neat about those guys is their repertoire of music is in, they, they know like every 80s song. So whoever came up, it, it was cool. They do it like that. They could play it. It was really neat. Are they still doing the same thing with various people sitting in? I mean, they're, they're much bigger than they were back then. But even at the Key Club, man, the Key Club sat a lot of people. The Key Club was where I first started working for them. And back then, there was no YouTube. Um, not everyone had a professional streaming device in their, in their pocket. This was 2005, 2006. So 
there was a video that went viral with Kelly Clarkson singing Don't Stop Believing. Oh yeah, Craig and, turned me on to that. It's one of his favorite songs. It, yeah. it was fucking jaw-dropping. It was such a cool performance and so cool yeah. to see. So that that sort of started bringing in more and more of the awareness about that show. And um, I'm trying to remember where you're going with this. Uh, they oh, were playing so, at the Key Club. Uh, oh, various people sitting in. So Kelly Clarkson, I, I missed that. So, yeah, so uh, back in the, you know, when they were doing just covers uh, from well, when I when I first started working with them in 2006 till about 2009, like I was saying, they, um, yeah, you get whatever special guests happen to be in town. Uh, there was a dude who used to come to the shows so that was sort of his in at the show was that he would bring celebrities. Uh, this guy, Josh Richmond. Um, I don't know much about him other than that. He was the reason that, that you'd see some famous person with, you know, Dennis Rodman to get on stage. Cocaine or, dealer. Uh, Definitely cocaine dealer. Yeah. Oh, I never even thought of that, but yeah. So. I'm just saying. Josh well, Richmond's, we meant a bitch. Josh Richmond's a bitch, that guy. <laughs> my introduction to those guys, I think, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, was similar to yours, where I think it was at the Viper Room and they were going by metal school at the time. They were. Yeah. That's that before. Guy, I had an arm length, like Liberty Spike Mohawk, right? So I kind of stood out in the crowd and I was with the girl I was seeing at the time and we went to go check out the show because I would go down there to try and find bands for the club because Santa Barbara, as rich as it is, and sometimes, you know, there's also dry times where you got to go out and kind of find somebody. And I, I got turned on to these guys. And Viper only holds, what, how many people? It's smaller than Velvet Jones, right, Nick? Like 200? Yeah, it's about yeah. 200. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm in the crowd and they're doing their set and they single me out. And they're like, oh, let's get this. They want to make fun of me, obviously. They like, bring me up on stage. I'm like, okay, so I get up on stage. They brought up uh, the singer from Disturbed. Was it David Draymond, I think? Yeah. yeah. And Tommy Lee on drums. And they're like, you know how to play? And I, I played bass for about eight years at this point. I'm like, oh, yeah, what do you guys want to do? And we ended up running through uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me and Rocky Like a Hurricane was my very first time meeting those dudes. And after that, they're super easy to approachable. And like, hey, you know, I got this club. I want you guys to come up. So and hold on. So you're hanging out. They don't know you on the club. They they've don't. never. They don't know me from a fucking hole. You're just some guy with a mohawk. And no like, you must movie. know how to play. Come up. Well, no. They just. I, they wanted to make fun of me because I was the punk rock dude at the hair metal show. So right. the idea was to bring me on stage and to kind of rolled into like you know they're bringing other people on stage and they kind of looked at me like, hey man, what do you know how to play? And I'm like, ah, I play bass. And they hand Lexi. I don't even think the thing was on. Maybe it was. I don't know. They hand me his guitar, and uh, and they're like, well, you know, what do you got? Because I, I I was familiar with obviously their set their playlist and I just threw out one and everybody knew it and we just tore into it. And what sucks about that is like Nick was saying, it was pre YouTube, pre everyone having a phone. There's no documentation of this ever happening. Yeah, because it'd be neat. So it was you and see how that turned out. Because I'm, I mean, it, was, it could have been a complete train wreck based on how much I had drank that night. But uh, I had a great time. The guys seemed to, you know, we, we seemed to get along. And I was just like, hey, let's get you guys up here. And I think that kind of leads into how you met him, right, Nick? Because I had him like every Tuesday was their weekly at, at Velvet for about a year. Oh, no kidding. And then, so we had him yes. as a residency there. And then it just, Santa Barbara's kind of fickle when it comes to to that kind of stuff. Like they take it for granted. Like, oh, we'll just catch it next week. We'll just catch it next week. And at the time, they were they were they were kind of pricey for what we were used to paying bands, and so it just came to a point where we just couldn't afford it anymore. Um, but yeah, but I remember having Nick. You were doing sound for him, right? Is, is that how you got introduced to those guys? Well, I met them basically through working for you because you hired them at Velvet when I was working there, and right, okay, they saw me running around like a madman doing doing the whole the whole show by myself and they just they liked the way that I worked and you know Darren sticks their drummer like still to this day if there's a local crew dude who he likes their vibe he'll get their number just in case 
Mm. And that happened just the other day. We were in uh, in Grand Junction, Colorado. He asked the, the house guy, he's like, let me get your, your email just, just in case. So that we was- kept in touch. And like many, many years later, I hit them up when I was living in Orange County and I was working at a hotel and I was like fucking hating it. I was doing AV, you know, where you like put like a lavalier mic on one guy and have like a flip chart with markers and shit. And I just randomly was going to go see them on a Monday. I called him up and he said, Hey, what are you doing for work right now? We just had to fire somebody. There was a, a stage hand at the key club. This is back when they were called metal school. But yeah, stage hand at the key club was, was trying to solicit marijuana from a band, like something like, Oh, I'll make you sound better. If you give me weed or I'll, I'll turn your vocal up in the monitor. If you give me weed. So they fired that dude and, and brought me in and, after maybe that three weeks, that probably was you. <laughs> totally usual. That was totally um, me. Yeah. After about three weeks of that, the house guy at, at Key Club got fired for drinking on the job, and so they handed me the front of house position, and um, I took it from there. But didn't you have a similar? Did I drink and dream this? Uh, didn't you have a? Didn't they pull you up on stage to play? Oh yeah, at, drums. At Velvet. A very vivid yeah, memory I, of that, and I want to believe I, that I that happened. <laughs> They threw me up on drums and I played Hot for Teacher. I don't know how we got through it, but we did. Oh, I remember that being and, awesome. I, I, yeah, I, I, was, I was coughing was up all a blur. screaming so loud. <laughs> it was all a complete blur. Like I'd never actually played that song in my life on drums, but I'd heard really? it enough times. Yeah, yeah. Drums yeah. is the one instrument you can fucking fake pretty much anything. I just remember sitting there jaw wide open, like, because I'd seen you play drums before, but that's arguably one of the more difficult ones, especially if you've never played it before. And I just remember thinking you just nailed it and the band was like right in there. I don't know, you guys just gelled quite quickly. And that's where I thought the seed was planted uh, with you and them. Absolutely. That was the, the, the little kernel of the nugget right. of goodness that, that blossomed. <laughs> you should be in the band. Something. They should do like a revolving drummer or something. God. Fine. I basically am in the band. I've been doing this for 15 years. Yeah, it was a long time. Crazy. I can't, I, yeah, that blew my mind when you said 06. I'm like, holy shit, it has been that long. Yeah. <sighs> Good times. Great times. So you're sick of them. <laughs> I gotta say, I don't know if there's another band I'd want to work for at this point because they're, like you said, they're it's the same shtick every night, and I've been I've been listening to pretty much the same jokes every night for 15 years, and it still cracks me up. And when they go off script, is when I find it really funny because like no one else gets it, but I go, oh, that's they've never said that before, and I'm fucking falling over in the sand with laughing. Yeah. Well, they definitely have a sense of humor, which is why they've, but they, 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 it's interesting, you know, you have like the spasmatics, I'm assuming they would have played at your place at some point. Yeah, no, we had them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but these guys really made a niche. They make, they make really good money. So does the spasmatics, but I wonder why they never did the same thing. Get five other guys, put them in makeup, a long hair, call them the same thing and stick them in a different venue and just make it a bigger it's- enterprise. If you want me to peel back the, the veil on that, to answer that question in depth, um, Spasmatics, Metal Shock, as they were called back then, and Boogie Nights were all a product of Perfect World Entertainment um, management team. And so at least what I know from working with these guys that long is that their way of keeping bands constantly moving is that they would rotate in and out band members. So you'd book Spasmatics in, in Salt Lake City while there's there's like three core guys and then they'd switch out the drummer here and there. Right. And this is a, a clever management technique called divide and conquer, where if you never let them unify, they can never uh, 
stand up to you and demand better treatment, better salary, whatever, whatever it is. <clears throat> and so when we all sort of first started working with these guys, they were metal school. They fired Perfect World Entertainment. There was a lawsuit. Um, it got pretty messy, but they essentially freed themselves from the shackles. Oh, so they were under the same umbrella as all those other dudes. Yes, and that's also why they know every fucking single song is because they all were in disco bands and 80s bands before they started. I can see that. That makes sense to me. In fact, just the other day, they were like jamming on uh, Melt With You from Modern English and, you know, fucking note for note. They know because they played those songs every night for years. I mean, these guys are like they were professional five nights a week cover band musicians. Yeah, but because they banded together and and said "fuck you" to this guy, um, that's why they were the ones who stuck together, and that's maybe why the Spasmatics couldn't have done the same thing. And then the fact that they started making their own music and and carving that niche for themselves. So the '86 um, Metal School because of getting out of that umbrella, or at the '86 Metal Shop to become Metal School, and then the same thing happened with Metal School. There was a a management type silent partner guy who owned a portion of that name. And rather than, than negotiate with him, they just changed the name. And that, that was probably the best move they could have done. Yeah, because now it's like old, who cares? I mean, most who the fuck cares don't, about Yeah, they don't know any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Makes sense. Do you yeah. think that was also kind of the decline? Because I feel like those other bands, I mean, while Steel Panther just kept climbing, like those other ones either tapered off or kind of disappeared, right? Because it's like you said, you got to unify... Uh, stand up to to what's keeping them down just to, to break through it and get your own you know make your own way well look yeah, at it yeah. your their rate got big enough to where you couldn't book them anymore well, that's true <laughs> With yeah. the other guys you would still book so and like you, you can you can do the um with the cover band thing you can do like quantity and high volume because you can have a boogie nights in six different cities but they're never going to do more than like 300 400 people a night right but there's one Steel Panther and they could sell out Wembley Arena as, as we did uh, once back in 2015. Wow. Awesome. So did anybody sit in in that show or no? <laughs> no, but there is, um, there's video of it. There's a- uh, I mean, am I wrong? I mean, I'm pushing it because it's, it's kind of like almost part of their act. You don't know who will show up. Yeah, and that's- you know, when we used to play Hollywood every week, this is before the House of Blues LA was demolished, um, we would still get that, that element of the show. And now it's like, if we happen to be in Spokane where Miles Kennedy lives, Miles Kennedy will come out and do a song with him. Or if we happen to be in Orlando, um, Joey Fatone will get up and do a number with him. So it's less that everything's happening in LA and we happen to be there too, and, and more that we're worldwide and and if someone cool like if justin hawkins from the darkness happens to be in london he'll get up and do a song with him in london like so that's that's more what special guests you might see yeah if we happen to be in a city where a, where a special guest happens to live well, that's cool all right well nick you're definitely cool what about you craig you got anything cool to say or are you just gonna sit there my stories don't i, I can't compare to, to a 15 year stint with steel panther yeah man yeah, I've, I've done some fun uh, shit cool but, as know, hell. i can't even imagine all right so actually more uh let's see from uh i do love flog and molly so what were you doing with flog and molly they just did they come through a lot or well no what happened they never played it they were always too big to play velvet and yeah. i came across them uh because along with nick there's been a couple other engineers that have come through 
uh, the club that have, have launched their career, use that as a springboard. Um, and one of them is, is my friend Casey, uh, who's been there. He started out as um, Frank Turner's tour manager, front house engineer, and then he went on to, to, to go with Flogging Molly. And so one of my first tours with Frank Turner was, with, that was the one tour I was bus driving. Because they didn't know, I mean, I didn't really advertise a whole lot. The first tour I did was with a Bloom, and that was the, the Zippo Hot Tours, Mikey Dolling from Snot, and uh, Ray, Roy Mayorga, and uh, uh, Marcelo from Soulfly, and Jason Levon from One Side Zero. And we had the whole tour bus. Like, my first tour was a was a full 40-foot tour bus thing, and I tour managed it sound with those dudes. And so and, how big was the tour? Like, where, how far did you drive? What's the longest? Like, it was two months, I think, and it was all U.S., um, and so we did that tour and I remember at one part of the tour, our, the guys came and woke me up. It was like four o'clock in the morning and our bus driver was kind of losing his mind. Like you need to go talk to him. And, uh, I had just gotten my commercial driver's license like six months before. And so I went over and saw and his name was skip. And I, there's no way this dude's still alive. But anyway, it was about eight or nine in the morning. He was standing up while he was driving. There's about 13 empty Red Bull cans around him and he was slapping himself in the face as hard as he could. Now keep in mind, this is before iPhones. This is before anything. So we had to, first of all, figure out where the fuck we were. So I'm like, dude, pull, he was doing about 90. We were pulling a trailer in this bus. And so <laughs> what ended up happening was, because I would put him in the hotel, as Nick knows you have to do with your drivers, you got to sort them out, put him in his hotel. I'm like, all right, dude, go to sleep, come back here, bus, or you're picking us up at 2 a.m. All right, so you're, you're tour manager. Well, you're probably you're production manager. Manage 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 manage. right. Okay, all right. So to keep in mind, this is my first tour ever. And this is this all leads into what we were about to talk about. I feel like you need to know this before the whatever sure. like he says okay so uh you know we get this dude i would take him to the hotel and he wouldn't sleep and then he would show up at the show because he had his laminate and he'd watch the show and i didn't really have much of a problem with that i'm like well okay i mean it's my first tour maybe that's common and then the dude would pick us up he'd drive us until we all fell asleep and then he'd pull over and sleep ah. and then woke up like well after when we were supposed to be i remember we we're going we we're heading to detroit to play at uh is it st andrews nick is that the the venue oh, God, i don't know yeah, the, the, the church that they converted to a venue that were downstairs, I think is where they filmed 8 Mile. Um, but we were supposed to do this big radio show up there and I was trying to do the math on it. I'm looking at like actual hardcore maps, like like legitimate, you know, like trying to figure out, okay, we're this far away, we're this. And realized we were like, if we had, oh, and, and by the way, I did a, a pre-trip inspection on the bus and we had like steel radials coming out of one of the tires. I'm like, we're not fucking going anywhere. It was Sunday in the middle of Wisconsin, pulled over to like some kind of Walmart, got the tire fixed, got back on the road. And I told this guy, like, we locked him in the back lounge and I started driving. Um, so now I'm tour managing, doing sound, and bus driving all on the same tour. Ooh, and so oh we pull in, and we're trying to call, you know, the 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 radio station that's hosting the show. We're like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. And of course, you hit traffic going into Detroit. And I think we pulled into the venue. We're supposed to be there at sound check at, I think, noon. We got to the venue around 9.30. And about Ooh. 30 minutes before we got there, the radio station's like, yeah, no, uh, we're, we're canceling it. So we ended up canceling a, a show later on in Maryland to double back and play in the shelter just because so many kids had come out for that for that show so when you locked him in the back lounge what i mean did yeah. you, you're gonna stay back here you old fucker like, dude, you totally fucked us like miss, i mean as nick knows and you know missing a gig is the fucking worst thing you can do especially if you're a tour manager it looks real bad on you and so uh you know the solution we, we we locked him back there until we got to detroit we basically just kicked him out we called the company like you need to send us another driver they're like well we can't get you another driver for another week I'm like, oh, good. So for the next week, I'll be sleeping in eight-minute increments while you know doing sound, taking a quick so nap. Did the, comp- you know. did the bus company pay you? Uh, no, for driving, no. But I think I think they discounted the band back on the cost of a of a driver. And back then, this was keep in mind 20 years ago, so there wasn't like this whole thing where no nope, tours stopped. We got to get you on our insurance. We got to do this. It was yeah. just roll with it. Just the, the show must go on, and you just got to do it. 
Um, was it an old ass tour bus anyway? Um, you know, Zippo. You can shit on a pre though. Yeah, they yeah, no, we weren't shitting on this bus. They they wrapped this bus up and uh and I I don't I don't you know what it was my first tour, so I don't even think I was even paying attention to what kind of tour bus it was. But um what was the initial question? I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> I don't know, Craig. Yeah, you just kind of kept going on and on and on. We were, we're talking, talking about oh, and how we got to Flying Molly. Okay, right. So you you know, so we did that and then I I uh, I never didn't after that tour, I was like, okay, I think I need a break from this because that just you know almost drove me to the edge when you're doing that much stuff with that little sleep and i just went back to running the club for a while and didn't really let anyone know i knew how to do sound didn't let anyone know i knew how to drive a bus don't even know i didn't do anything and then um casey went on to work for chuck reagan who did his revival tour and then when casey went on to just do frank turner uh he kind of put the good word in for me to and that's where i did chuck's tour where i was just doing sound for him where it was tim from rise against and dave haas and uh, uh toke from streetlight manifesto and all these dudes that were front men from you know, really big established bands that were doing solo stuff uh, for Chuck. And it was a, it was a great show. And I, I learned a How lot. How are you managing that. the bar though on the road? <clears throat> at, that, at that point I could do it from my phone. Cause it was all just doing bookings. You know, it's going go go on the laptop. Greg. It's not, I could just do it. I mean, dude, that's, that's well, intense that's, stuff. That's, the thing is, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on the road. The club was what I felt like was an opportunity that I, I jumped on because I was in a band, uh, you know, early on that didn't work out. And that band, uh, uh, we broke up and they formed with some other guys a band called pressure four five um yeah. these are and uh you know got signed to dreamworks did the whole thing and then because um, you were doing sound at the bar and then you ended up buying the bar i was doing sound at wildcat and then i ended up starting velvet jones uh which was down the street which was okay. i think i was 24 when i started that bar that's um, crazy partners at the time and then a year later i got the partners out and i, and I just kept charging with it but i think i, I realized like just I'm, I'm big like stats and numbers guy i'm like you know the odds of me being able to make it as a paid musician to make a career out of it are very very slim but the odds of being able to be a part of that industry on the crew side of it like developing that's why i want to make sure i knew how to do every aspect of touring that i could which was you know tour managing front of house monitors everything the only thing i didn't get proficient at was lights and that was the one thing i kind of missed out on but Ugh, if, you guy, they break. if you got a guy on your crew that can do everything then if someone gets sick you're covered so i, I kind of became, was able to be marketed as kind of the utility guy where it's like like maybe i wasn't the best at what i did but i knew how to do so many things that they, that I, I never had a loss for work yeah that's no, interesting so, but then when it launched into Casey, who, you know, did Frank Turner and now does Flogging Molly. So he brought me in to fill in for one of his guys. So I did a couple runs with them. Just great. And, and I've been really lucky because a lot of the, every band I think I've toured with uh, have been some of the best people I, I've met and I'm still friends with today. I've just been really lucky to not. Yeah, most people music are fucking cool. That's the thing. You know, they really are. Yeah, you run across the ones that you could do without, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, I've just been really fortunate to tour because I wanted to, not because I had to, which meant I could pick and choose the, the bands I wanted to work with. And then like, if someone came along, Oh, these guys need this. I'm like, yeah, no, nah, I'm good. I can just pass on it. And it wasn't something that I felt like. So when you were at the bar, did you have to deal with the writers? Is that your gig to go out and get like Fuji water or whatever? Well, it was initially. And then I got basically a, a production manager that would handle all that shit. So and what's uh, like the stupidest writer that you were supposed to fill? Oh, dude. Um, we had winger play there. Nick, do you remember this story? No, but I remember them opening up for us at the at the key. Right, and Winger Winger made Winger made Code Four Fifteen play on the floor. He was, our, he was our local, and then I think I called you guys, and you guys, I think Darren coordinated something to kind of disrespect them at the House of Blue show opening for you guys. But uh, they uh, their rider was just all this ridiculous shit. I'm like, okay, I'm like, first of all, you realize we're a 300 cap room. I remember sitting with these guys. They're like, uh huh. 
I'm like, and you sold about 12 tickets. So where do you think the money for this is coming from? And, they're just like, and then of course, you know, I jumped through the hoops because before I was like, well, maybe we'll have a big walk-up crowd. I always, you know, uh, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. So I honored it as best I could. And then no one showed up. And then at the end of the night, he actually had the nerves. Like, so I guess we're not getting after show, you know, Caro's or, or Denny's or whatever. I'm like, get the fuck out of my bar. <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone had come to see code 415 and then by the time they were done like the local crowd just bailed because no one gave a fuck about where <laughs> so all they wanted was some denny's oh well no that was their after show shit the, the early stuff i mean you hear the stories about like the purple m&ms or whatever ozzy's legendary for having we had a couple of the hip-hop uh, acts that would come through remember we had two live crew that had some stuff that was I, but none of it really stands out like i didn't really i none of it i didn't really commit to memory i was just like okay just figure well that's two live crew played there Oh yeah, bunch of times. Yeah. Oh, two live crew. They were so great. <clears throat> were you there, Nick, the night when uh, when uh, our, the, the guys tried to break in the back door and they jumped our back door guy and two live crew poured out of their Mercedes and beat the living shit out of that dude? I don't know if I was there that night. I think Wait. So okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. So <laughs> what? what, what <laughs> yeah, sorry, Joel. Nick and I, we have this whole. I mean, how long? Did yeah, you I'm, I'm lost. So who? So like, just regular people, like punter guys, are just beating up the doorman. Well, the, the show was sold out, and and the way Velvet Jones is is designed was you had your front door and the back door was kind of for artist entry, but you had to put a dude back there to keep people from trying to break into the show or rush the door, rush the artist or whatever. And so I remember the guy's name was Jonathan, and he was probably about your size, Joel. He wasn't a big dude. And he was basically just paid. He just sit back there and read books because it was ultimately a pretty boring gig. But the show was sold out. These two guys couldn't get in, so they, their idea was they were going to beat up the back door guy and just force their way in. So the way the parking worked is behind, like facing the back doors, two or two parking spaces, and two. We didn't really have much of a dressing room, so these guys were just you know hanging out doing whatever in their Mercedes. And they see what's going on, and all of a sudden, because it was, it was it wasn't just two live crews. Them like their security, like the, some of the biggest scariest dudes you've seen just poured out and just regulated this these poor bastards end up getting them arrested and then like within without even missing a beat like it was just normal they're like okay so we're on like three cool grab the mics went on like nothing happened it's killer yeah i love that I, that was yeah I, I was i was real proud like I mean, that, that's happened a few times with, with acts that are just that know the game and, and will self-regulate like nope didn't didn't need to get really the police too much involved or whatever just got them out of you know remove the situation and i think they didn't even go on late they still went on right on time I remember when they had the uh, Steve Miller in, uh, in their song. Uh, God, what was the big song that they had? Well, they had a few. Oh, it was uh, Space Cowboy, right? They, they took that hook and it was uh, Gangster They took the Gangster hook, that's Love, right. Gangster, what was it, Nick? I forget. Well, it was uh, one of the first big lawsuits, if not the first big lawsuit for rap. And they lost. They lost. <laughs> yeah. So they stuck a Leonard Skinner loop in instead, if I remember correctly. But the Space Cowboy one was killer. <laughs> it was killer. But it's, yeah. so if you got like one of the early tapes, you could get it with with uh, with Leonard's oh, original with, hook. Yeah, yeah, with the original hook. Yeah, they were cool. I don't. I liked them. Remember the Fat Boys? Oh yeah, we never got uh, the Fat Boys. I didn't they were dead. I think, man, they yeah, both they died really died. young. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard. Mean, to get but them. as far as like '90s hip hop, I mean, shit, we had like Too Short came through. Oh, cuss words. What's that? Cuss words. He, oh yeah, he might have been the the coolest, absolute, hands down, awesomest special guest I ever saw. Get up with Steel Panther it was too short. No kidding. Really? There was one time we did the Roxy. It was between when the Key Club went under and before we started House of Blues. There was this one like week of weirdness, and it was too short and McLovin. <laughs> We're both on stage at the same time, and it was it was perfect. So McLovin's uh, he's rapping. He he was something. He was doing something, but 
Well, he, his, band, his band played it at, at Velvet. Um, God, I can't remember the name of him. He, he plays drums, right? God, I don't know. We don't know. Oh, yeah, that was probably after your time. But yeah, he came through. We had a bunch of like random celebrities just pop in there. Like Jeff Bridges came in to see his granddaughter play in like the school rock thing we were doing. This guy's such a cool guy, man. Yeah. And he, like, he's what, fighting. What is he fighting? Right or something right now. I don't know. That guy's so neat. He, he cuts on a public forum and says, you know, I'm going to fight this and do the best I can or whatever. And you're like, you're such a great guy. Like till the end, man. Love you, Jeff Bridges. There's actually a thing you can find on YouTube and it's all the guys from the big Lebowski. And they're, they're talking about the roles they had. They're sitting like at a Denny's or a Carol's or something in a booth. And they're just talking about the movie and it's so good. It's like 20 minutes long. And Steve Buscemi didn't want to do the movie, but he didn't want to turn it down because he'd already done, I think, Fargo. So he's like, I can't turn it down, but I didn't want to do this role. I didn't. It was it's like a bullshit thrown in role. And then and then you you get into uh, not Tom Arnold. What's the other the other guy? Yeah, John Goodman. The other Roseanne love interest. The other Roseanne guy. (laughs) And John Goodman just starts telling him. No, you know, haven't you read the stuff that basically you're a figment of his imagination the whole time? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I have read that. Have you watched the movie thinking that? He goes, yeah, you know, super, super neat. Really great, like, bro chat with these guys just talking about this movie that none of them ever thought would ever. As big as it was, yeah. Yeah, they just did it because of the guys directing the movie, basically. None of them thought anything of it. It's really fun to watch. What's the most random guy you can think of who came in with Steel Panther? What's, like... You know, did you ever have like a Jimmy Page or somebody where you're like, holy shit, like this is next level. Okay, it's, um, I forget the dudes, the, the guy who plays keyboards for Bon Jovi, Dave something, I don't know his last name, but. Um, He's keyboard Bon Jovi guy. Keyboard Bon Jovi guy, Dave, with the curly hair. Um, he happened to be in the crowd and someone had rented a keyboard from SIR for the show that was happening the night before and SIR was picking it up on Tuesday. This was on Monday night. And so the stage manager's like, we have a fucking keyboard. And he runs down to the back alley where it's stored and like fucking pulls it out. He's, he's building it on stage. He's got the X stand, sets it up. And like, they're, and they're playing a song do- while he's like setting it up. Well, they're like maybe doing like a, a, a bossa nova beat or something while he's setting it up like they always do. Um, but they run through living on a prayer. They run through um, you give love a bad name, but he starts it in the key that, that it's on the album. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa we're down like two and a half steps because holy fuck who can sing that high and so he's like on this yamaha keyboard like programming the transpose function to take it down two and a half steps super neat. and then they go into it it's just it was fucking mind-blowing and it sounded so huge to have them playing it for real and not just have like the canned keyboards on the on the background tracks yeah that's super fun God, what is that one track where these uh I can't think of this take it down a little as he says it in the rap song they, they bring it they start bringing it down i I'm not going to remember, but I love all that kind of stuff. I saw at the Key Club, uh, Ernie invited me, Ernie C. Did Body Count? Did Body Count ever do any shows? And uh, they were so much fun to watch. They're opening, you know, Body Count in the house, Body Count in the house, and he just keeps repeating it. But it's fucking great. <laughs> and that's the only thing he said the whole time, Body Count in the house. You guys did shows with them? No, but I remember I was there at the key club setting up at probably three in the afternoon and Ernie C walks in drunk as fuck. Just like <laughs> just stumbling in off sunset. Like, what are you doing in here? Like, Yo, that's Ernie C from Body Count. I'm like, all right, cool. I guess you can hang so out. So Ernie, so I'm doing, uh, do you remember I made a movie, Craig? I don't know. I wasn't. Yeah, I, 
I do. Well, I remember in, in, that's how I, that's what I knew about you from college was that you were doing the film studies. And that's what you want to do was make movies. And then no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I did. I was an art guy. I was an art history major. And I took the film class because uh, I thought it'd be easy, actually, is why I took the film class. Mm. And then I was kind of into it, though. I, I had a roommate named Edgar and I wrote a screenplay, a Seinfeld episode where Edgar was the main dude. And he was supposed to be a uh, artist. He was a sandwich artist, which is the uh, subway thing and these people are like you know or Seinfeld guy you're so good you're so talented you're so good so he takes it to heart and he goes to work at the museum as a janitor because he's an artist and he shouldn't be working at it like a subway so anyway it was a fun little shtick but uh I, I was trying to do this movie and I got a bunch of music guys in it that I knew I had like Jonathan from Corn and Josh from Buck Cherry and stuff and so Ernie so I, I wanted him to hit up Ice Cube and he goes you need to buy me some shoes I want some shoes. I just want ice cube in my. I want or no iced tea. I want yeah iced tea. I want iced tea in my movie. And he's like, you need to buy me some fucking shoes. You buy me some shoes. We can talk. So I went to like Fridays to meet with Ernie. I'm like, I ain't buying you no fucking shoes, dude. I'll buy you some drinks and we'll have some burgers. I'm like, but I ain't doing. It. He goes, no shoes, no iced tea. <laughs> and so I don't think he ever pitched it, but I used to be pretty friendly with Ernie. He was a character, man. He was fun. He was fun. He used to go to a lot of STP shows. You're a cool guy. You're a character. I want some shoes. <laughs> he was totally serious, though. I remember that next time somebody asked me for something. I'm like, yeah, no, you need to buy me some shoes first. <laughs> That's just a good segue. I still remember. I got to start, start doing that. These fucking New Balance are not cheap, dude. Dude, <laughs> right? you got to work it. You got to yeah. work it. If you, if you don't ask, you shall never receive. I want the USA made New Balance 990s. <laughs> for five minutes of Nick Rucker's time. Make it happen. Make it happen. 15. Call Ernie. He could be your shoe broker. So now that Ernie will never come on my podcast. I know, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, question I try to ask everybody. So uh, I was thinking about putting together a podcast and my friends now all have kids. And so one of them has a little girl in fifth grade. And she said, you should ask all your guests when they first felt famous. So we're talking about a little kid, right? We're talking about a fifth grader. To make it a broader question, uh, when did you first feel good about your career? What you... Uh, what you were doing that you felt like you're on the right path, a special moment where the Bon Jovi guy came up on stage, you know, something where you looked and went, wow, this is really me. I, this is cool. What's the first moment that comes to mind? Maybe. Let me go first. Do it, Nick. Yeah. I got one on deck, but go for it. So um, when I was eight, nine years old, uh, hysteria was the number one album on the radio and on MTV. And I would sit and I would wait for fucking Armageddon to come on or pour some sugar me to come on. And in 2011, we did a uh, arena tour with Def Leppard and Motley Crue. And um, we're sitting in the lobby of the Malmaison in, uh, in Manchester, and I'm sitting next to Rick Allen. And he's telling me what a great job I'm doing, doing sound. He loves the way Steel Panther sounds. And I'm just like, I'm fucking talking to a drummer from Def Leppard, one of my favorite bands of all time. He's complimenting me. Like, how fucking cool is that? That's cool. So that was when I, and then, um, I got to actually call, uh, or e I think I emailed the guy who taught me how to do sound, this guy Skip, because he was Motley Crue's front of house guy back in- There's a lot of Skips in the music industry here, yeah, okay. Um, Skip gets I around. Just, I just sent him an email and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm on tour right now with your old, your old uh, employer and Def Leppard, and I just wanted to say thank you for uh, showing me that this was a career path that I could do. That is neat. Yeah, the full circle stuff makes you feel good. You know, you hope that they feel good going like, hey, I didn't waste my time on that guy. Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. 
I like it. I like Def Leppard too. I had a guy on here named Martin Popoff. He's a major, major journalist. He he uh, he does uh, like the major metal music stuff, and he hates Def Leppard. <laughs> it like it like built his career. He gave them zero stars and something he did. So the first question was about Def Leppard, and uh, he still hates them. Was the quickie? <laughs> I think like true like metal guys like thrash guys fucking hated him because like in the early you know the early years they were kind of oh are these guys metal and like no clearly they're like a pop rock band well he said the first two albums cool after that what the fuck fuck you guys <laughs> absolutely he's canadian though he was way more polite about it <laughs> probably a huge megadeth fan too and that's fine i'm sure actually i'm certain yes megadeth. all right craig what happened to you that was so neat well i mean for me I, I, it didn't certainly didn't happen that age i think i kind of you know, bounced around the music business, trying to find where it was I fit in, like from being in bands, from being on the production side, from running the club. And a lot of the, that stuff kind of happened just because like, I, I, I like to take advantage of opportunities that are presented to me. I, I know isn't a word I like to throw around a lot. So it's like, hey, you want to do this? Yes, let's do it. Let's, I mean, try, I'll try anything. So <clears throat> I think it was on um, Chuck Reagan's revival tour, which is I think the second uh, big tour that I had done. And that was, I think we did something like 48 shows in 43 days. Cause that guy just, you know, you do a morning thing on Sirius radio or you do some school function you do the show at night and just go and go and go and go and go. And it was the second half of, of that run. And we had uh, Tim McElrath from Rise Against and we were in Denver. Um, I believe it was at Summit Music Hall. And all I know, so we do our sound check, do the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, Tim comes and he's like, hey, there's a chance that uh, I might have a guest come up and, and sing a song with me. He's like, you know, can you work out, you know, getting her uh, a chair, getting her in front of a monitor, like sort her out. I'm like, yeah, no problem. And so, uh, you know, the, I see, uh, you know, the performers, the, 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 the dad and the daughter show up and, uh, you know, Tim and the girl, like, hey, come over here and let's, let's run this real quick. I can kind of faintly hear that he's playing a song and she's singing along with him. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. But not knowing the story behind it. So we get to the, where the show's happening and he brings her up on stage and she's really nervous. She's this adorable girl. You can find it on YouTube. I think her name is, is Delcy. And, uh, and her favorite song is Hero of War. And so, you know, as, as I'm sure Nick knows or anyone's done sound is when you've got an acoustic guitar with a pickup in it and you're sitting right up against a monitor and you've got a microphone, two vocal mics. And of course she's tiny. So it's really close to the monitor. I'm going, you know, I'm going to, and all I kept thinking was, oh my God, I'm going to ruin this fucking moment if I can't make sure that this feedback loop that's inevitable just doesn't happen. And so I'm on stage, I'm setting it up. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, okay, how far away can I get from this? Do this and set the mic up at what angle and all that stuff. Just quick on the fly, you know, uh, calculations on there. We end up getting through it. Uh, sounds great. She's got this tiny little voice. She just belted through it, just made her whole day. Everything was awesome. Now come to find out that that girl's story was that her dad had emailed Tim maybe two days before telling this long story about how, uh, you know, her, he and her mom are divorced and her mom is, is making all these phony accusations and trying to get custody. And the poor girl is having all these issues. Like she's wet in the bed. She's doing, you know, everything, every horrible thing you can think of happened to a poor girl that just likes, you know, punk rock music or whatever was happening to this girl. And he's like, Hey, you know, all, all he asked was, you know, if, if maybe Tim could, and here of the here of war was her favorite song. And, you know, would it be possible if Tim could just come out and say hi to her and really, you know, brightness this girl's life. And he turned it into, into that experience for her. Where, and I'll send you guys the link, the video. It's it's just yeah, please. Very moving, um, and 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 the whole time I guess kept sitting there just like shitting my pants, like please, you know, sound gods, do not let this shit feedback. And then what that <laughs> moment became 
Like I didn't realize in the moment, I just knew I was just trying to do my job. But the fact that it did go off without a hitch and the response that it got and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, coming back said, hey, sounded great, great job. But for me, in, in that moment, it was me, Tim and Delcy, and there was no one else in the room. And it was just like that. And I'm sure Nikki probably had something similar to like that, you know, doing sound where you're just like, please don't, you know, it, based on how stable it is. Yeah, he's in the love of God. Don't let this fuck up. And, uh, and I think that was the moment where I was just like, okay, you know, moments like this is what kept me going for like the next five years. And there are very few and far between, but that was, that was the first one. Oh, that's cool. I used to wet the bed when I lived next door to Craig because he's so mean to me. Yeah, what was the password to get into my house? I was just going to go into it. So tell this, that this was great. So the, the honest to God truth, the password to get into Craig's house, not for me, for anybody who would come over, was not Joel. <laughs> and they would let him in. So they made me say not Joel to come into the house because I had to remember that guy, Ryan, because <laughs> I oh, had yeah. to give that guy, Ryan, something, you know, I had to Probably say not Joel that. to enter the house to give this guy something. To <laughs> Who is it? In. It's not Joel. We open the door like, ah, oh, fuck, it is Joel. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Oh, you deserved it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so after all these years, would you forgive Skip the driver if he's still alive? <laughs> oh, God. You know what? It, that... For the longest, we were, I was just talking, I ran to Mikey Dolling not too long ago. We were, we were kind of laughing about that whole thing. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you come across people of all walks that, that end up somehow stumbling into, into the touring business, whether it be bus drivers or crew guys or whatever else. Some of them have great attitudes and are very thankful and grateful what they're doing. Others are jaded as shit and probably should have never been given the job to begin with. I mean, we had another bus driver. To answer your question, you know what? I can laugh about it now because we all survived it and I'd probably forgive him. But it's like, fuck him, man. He put all of our lives in danger. And yeah. I mean, the guy that you put your, you know, your trust in the most is your driver. We had a similar experience with Mad Caddies going into, uh, we were going into Canada and, uh, and the guy was supposed to come from LA. He was supposed to drive up on 4th of July to pick me up in Red Bluff and then get us to Seattle. He showed up, he was wasted when he showed up. And then I'm like, okay. And he showed up eight hours late. So I was sitting at the Elks Lodge parking lot at three in the morning. We had to be in Seattle at 5 PM. I'm like, even drinking? I just booted him to the back. I'm like, this is how the tour is starting. So then I drove after being up all that day, all the next day till 5 p.m. I'm like, oh, finally, I'm like, okay, dude, can you fucking, can you drive? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, we got to Portland to pick up our guitar tech. And I'm like, just let me sleep for like an hour. Slept for like 30 minutes and I could feel the bus all over the place. I'm like, God damn it, woke up, threw him to the back. And I'm like, dude, fine, I'll go. And so it was about a 20, God, how long is that in a bus, Nick? Like 18 hours? Sounds about right. All the way up the West Coast. And then, yeah, yeah. and then as we go to get into Canada, it turns out this guy has like a, a, a DUI. They wouldn't let him in or whatever else. And so then we ended up having to pay whatever I mean, it is. I've never, I mean, I had a bunch of budget. I'd never had anybody that bad. Oh, dude, that was those are the two worst. Every other driver we've had we've had since has been great. But that guy was a fucking nightmare. And he didn't have a credit card, which meant as tour manager, you couldn't check it. You couldn't just send him to the hotel. You couldn't just no, put him in Uber. Hold his hand and go check him in. I had to hold him in, and not only that, I, I eventually ended up getting him a, a prepaid card. I'm like, just so I, just because when you get there, the last thing I need to do is drive five miles or get an Uber five miles to drop this dude off. And so I got him this credit card so he could check on the hotels. The very first Uber I put him in, because I called it on my account, because obviously he didn't have it. He sent it. Then I got kicked off of Uber because this dude was just saying the most horrifically racist things to the, oh, to the driver. I'm like, dude, that wasn't me. Like, I didn't try to explain my case. I'm like, oh if I God. can't use Uber, I can't effectively be a tour manager. And this fucking guy's ruined everything. And that was like in the first three days of that tour. 
but you know, you roll with it, you figure it out, you just, you know, adjust and, and, and shows must go on. But yeah, that was I used to love the drivers because they would tell you the greatest stories, man. Yeah, on the whole, that is true. But uh, I mean, really? I've had some, some great drivers. Uh, but yeah, right, so yeah, these two are terrible. <laughs> I do my research on you guys, which is obviously very extensive if you haven't seen any of the episodes. <laughs> But uh, my research usually entails just listening to bands you guys work for. And I actually only listened to one because I got stuck because I really liked it. And it was Lucero and I hadn't mm. heard of them. And I ended up listening to it all day today. What's the deal with those guys? Because that was great shit. Lucero is they're out of Memphis, Tennessee, I think. God, I haven't seen those dudes in forever. Um, I met them. God, was it, it must have been from a Velvet show. And then I remember I was out with Frank Turner doing monitors and we were somewhere in the South and we were, and I think Lucero had gone on, was either going on after us or before us. And I had known those guys enough to joke around or whatever else. And, and again, they're like, Oh, they're like, wait a minute. Like, you know, how to do monitors. And I guess, I guess they had just had to recently let their monitor guy go. Our tour was coming to an end. They're like, you got to come work for us. I'm like, fuck, sounds great. But everybody in that camp, I cannot speak highly enough uh, from, from Ben, uh, Jimmy, their tour manager, uh, their sound guy, everybody on down, just great dudes. But it was a little bit different. Than what I, was, I was used to doing the long shows because revival tours are always three, three and a half hours long. Yeah. These yeah. guys would play like, you know, two and a half, usually two, two and a half hour sets. Oh, and it's all, their music's just about drinking and, and women. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it, I remember, I think one of my favorite drinking quotes came from Ben because I, I remember the time I was at the peak of my, of my drinking abilities and uh it was always he and i were the two. hero here isn't yeah, it? we were the, we were the last two to go to bed we would close down every bar we would you know and I, I think we were at uh at the lanes in, in asbury park and we were sitting there and uh you know people just come up it was just he and i drinking and talking and like he, even if fans would come up he was just kind of like you know i got underwear older than you like you know fuck off i'm trying to drink myself to death over here but at one point and maybe this was his i credit him for having said this maybe you guys have heard this somewhere else but he told me he's, he's like you know what craig I like my whiskey the way I like my women. 18 years old and mixed up with Coke. I'm like, thank God for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, those guys, I mean, and they're still killing it and they're, they're evolving. And I, I I've kind of lost touch with them over the years. Um, they had some good songs. I really like listening. If you listen to them, like I, I would recommend if you're going to do a deep dive on them, do it chronologically. And you can kind of hear how their sound kind of evolves and you hear his voice kind of, you know, mature into that 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 raspy you know uh uh calling card you know sound that he has uh similar to chuck reagan and it's just yeah those guys are i think their keyboard player i think was the original keyboard player for dexy's midnight runners um oh. they have a great horn section and it's just like yeah they're live at a, a what was it live in atlanta album is another great one um but yeah those guys one of my favorite bands to work for by far cool. What's the worst act to come through Velvet Jones that you thought was going to be amazing? That I thought was going to be amazing? Yeah, I thought they were going to be great, and they showed up, and you're like, what the yeah, fuck, what, man? What the hell is this all about? Sound like so, yeah, I'm trying to think of a big letdown show that we booked that I was excited about, and they just didn't deliver. That's a good question. Um, or what about you, Nick? Or maybe you shouldn't say, because you're working for Who came up on the stage who you're like, oh. this is going to be great, and then you're like, oh, God, what the hell? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I won't. I'll harken back to that Molly Crew Def Leppard tour. They were crew were fucking awful. Were they? Like the fact that they have a hardworking crew that puts on that the visual live show with the fucking roller coaster and the fire and the pyro. Like that's the show. But like I heard that tour 
while I was packing down Panther's gear from, from the backstage. And they're not a good band. Like they're, they're, they're legendary. They're fucking legendary. But um, yeah, like as a, as a, a kid who grew up looking at it and going, wow, this is amazing. And then seeing it, you know, from backstage, like whatever. I'll they say that. They canceled their dates. They're, they postponed their dates that are coming up. Because Vince Neal just, I mean, it was sad. Well, the one th- the one show that comes to mind from from Velvet, and I know we all love Too Short. He is a great performer, and it's funny that it is, it's Nick's favorite. But the story I'm about to tell, from a, a club owner point of view, was just shit. So what he had done was he had double booked himself. He booked himself with Velvet Jones the same night he booked himself down in Orange County, and so his thought, without telling us, you know, because we usually do doors at eight, you know, you have a, a, a litany of, of of openers that go on from like nine to like ten, and then our headliner goes around ten thirty. We'd sold out the show. He showed up at like eight and wanted to go on at 8.30 when there was about 15 people in there and wanted to get, and he'd already been, I think we'd already paid the full thing up front or whatever else. I'm like, dude, you can't do that. Like we've sold these tickets. No one's coming. We have to refund all these goddamn tickets. So you just can't, you can't fucking do this. He's like, oh, well, I got another show, you know, down in Orange County. So he proceeded to, you know, the, the 12 people that were there were stoked Everybody else was fucking furious. And as it turns out, he got stuck in traffic and didn't make his late show anyway. Oh. I'm like, you know what, dude? Fucking serves you right. That's what you fucking uh. get for double booking because you thought, you know, you just make that money twice. Now, on the flip side of that, on the, the way that that should have been handled, well, I guess this is a different story altogether. We had Chance the Rapper come through. And what the mistake we made was the promoter was some guy I hadn't worked with before. And usually we sold all our tickets in-house. So we put up our 300 tickets, sold out like nothing. The promoter had also sold 300 tickets on his own. So now we've got 600 people trying to get oh, into a shoot. venue that holds nothing. And, and honestly, as far as I was sitting there going, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. There's, everyone's going to want to fight to get in. Everyone's going to want their money back. But this guy was so pro. And his him and his tour manager were just looking at each other. And I was just like, well, hey, I mean, how long's your set? It was something like 50 minutes. I'm like, how about we do early show, late show? You know, we'll pack in the first 300 people. You'll get paid twice what you would have been paid otherwise. And uh, and, and no one will go home. Nice. Whatever. So everybody lined up i'm like all right first 300 shoved them in there we had one opener did the headlining set while everyone waited these guys went out everybody else came back in double dipped and uh yeah the guy was stoked you know but but that's how you handle a an audible like that you don't try to get greedy like too short did and double dip on two separate venues 150 miles away from each other so at your venue could i come in and drink while i waited for the band to play or no you're either inside or outside uh no well that's the thing is our capacity included the front patio the upstairs the 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 main hall and so you once you hit your mark of i think it, like at the end there the last few years we had our capacity up to up to uh 350 but uh it, i mean yeah you just shove them in there and then boot them out and shove them in again we did the same thing with e40 except that was planned uh for two shows because we knew we could you know that guy would sell out that guy was great too uh, but yeah, a lot most for the most part, a lot of the hip hop acts were, were great to work with. But on occasion, you get the guys. Even too short set, to be honest, was mainly like looking back on it, he would bring all his Bay Area crew up, and they would, uh, you know, they would perform more than half the set. You get about twenty minutes of too short and an hour of his crew singing songs that you didn't fucking know anything about. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, mean, not, not, yeah. I don't, I don't want to sit here and just badmouth the dude. I, I respect him as a performer, but I felt like he kind of took us for granted and just didn't really look at us as being like a show that he should give a shit about, you know? Yeah. Did uh, any of the guys from Toad ever play there? Glenn Phillips played acoustic. The Toad Wet Sprocket didn't play as a full band, I don't think. 
Dishwalla did. Um, I don't think Ugly Kid Joe did either. Snot did, of course, after after Lynn passed away, they 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 got their new singer and they came back. And actually, we had Mikey's guitar was hanging on the wall, and we had a mural of Lynn painted on the wall for the longest time. But um, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, it's had great bands come through there. I used to write with Dean from Toad. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah, I've written yeah. a bunch of stuff with him. So, well, I really appreciate it, guys. Unless you have any other stories, you're welcome to tell them. But uh, otherwise, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this has been great, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like twenty-four years, that's insane. Yeah, man, time flies. It's kind of nuts. Because well, the thing was about this, it was just because, like, I remember because Dave, my old roommate, was the one who told me about your your book, and then I'm like sitting there reading like the bio of it. I'm like, dude, me and this dude. I mean, obviously, you went off with much bigger bands than I did, but for two dudes that lived across the street from each other in a random college town, we kind of took very similar paths as far as to get to which rounded us back to where we are now. Which it's just, I don't know, it's just small world i guess i think it's kind of neat too yeah dave did the same sort of thing with me he's like you gotta talk to craig yeah i'm like oh, but call me i'm easy okay, to call sure. to. Hey, got yeah. my number pretty accessible it's been a I don't know, is there a time limit on this joel i just had a quick question no okay no no one cares and this is well, the worst so far we are not worst <laughs> uh, the longest we've gone is like three hours and then i was like i, I gotta pee i gotta pee <laughs> okay so we got a little bit of time I'm, I'm just curious if you guys had any like backstage moments that like had nothing to do with the show or any kind of realizations of like you see somebody and you're like oh what the and it just kind of just wrapped it around like oh god i can't believe i'm here with this dude and whatever else i mean what 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 experiences you guys have with that goes to leo brothers uh uh they're my guitar heroes those are my two absolute favorite you know guitar guys the, the guys from stp and i got to do a couple um these all-star nights uh matt sorum puts on in hollywood it's uh rock to recovery and like you know both times Dean and Robert just like you meet your heroes and then you find out they're super nice and friendly and yeah they're just amazing so I'm, I'm stoked to hear that you got to work with them and I got to yeah. tour with Richie Mazetta for a couple of years and he was their original guitar tech I know Richie yeah, yeah Richie so, did the tour with me Richie was working yeah. at a uh, line what is it line six, line six yeah um, Richie toured with them like way back he was the original guy. He was in the studio for everything, you know, fixing up guitars. And I think through maybe to the fifth album. But yeah, like what a great guy. What a great cat. So many great stories. And then just such respect for those those two guys as as players and as people. Um, I never met Eric and obviously I didn't meet Scott. But yeah, the Robin Dean are fucking ace. Absolutely great guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, really good people for real. They, uh, they all treated me. They treated me great. Nick, yeah. did you ever have any any of those kind of backstage moments that made the world feel real small? I will share a. <clears throat> we toured with Judas Priest, and Richie happened to be on that tour with us. But um, we were in Dallas, and the the party was happening at, at Vinnie Paul's strip club afterwards. Um, so. It was, steel panther guys and the judas priest guys um all piled into a party bus and i wasn't there for what happened later but i guess what happened later is that um the the party bus driver had an ipad and various members of both crew and band were just racking up lines on his ipad and just getting super fucking super fucked up and uh the the guitarist for Priest, I believe, was bogarting the, the baggie, as it were, 
and our drum tech had bought it. And so he was kind of like, hey man, like you're kind of bogarting my blow. Um, the next morning was the show in Dallas and our drum tech could not get out of bed. He was so fucked up. So I, and, and mind you, we had like a 3.30 load in. It was fucking late in the day and he still couldn't get out, out of bed. Um, so I ended up, you know, tucking him in. I'll take care of setting up your drum kit. No worries. Like you said, like wearing a number of hats, like knowing how to set up a drum kit. Mm -hmm. um, he slept in. And then the next night, the guitarist from Priest comes back, not with like a hundred bucks for, <laughs> for the drum tech to pay for the blow that he bogarted. He brings another fucking bag of blow. And our drum tech is just like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Why would you do that? So, oh, mate, I'm sorry. I was just trying to pay you back, you know. Uh, money works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, money, money works. Says, Jesus. Now, what made me think about asking guys that question was when Joel, when you were asking me about just kind of tour stories, the one that popped up that made me kind of think just how small the world was, was we were doing some, some festival in Germany, I think. And it was, I think I was with Lagwagon at the time and the dressing room, like there was probably like 50 bands and everyone's got their own little zone. And, uh, you know, there's only so much of the catering you can eat and whatever else just waiting to go on, waiting to go on. And there happened to be a TV on and the guys from Mastodon uh, were hanging out over here, you know, in their full garb, which is, I guess, just how they dress normally. <clears throat> and, um, and Game of Thrones was on TV. Now I don't watch Game of Thrones. I was never a fan. I didn't buy it. I didn't drink the Kool-Aid or whatever else. I'm like, okay, it's something to watch. And I'm sitting there watching it and I'm looking at it. I'm looking over at Mastodon. I'm looking at the screen. I'm looking at Mastodon. They catch me doing this and they look at me and they look at the screen and they just kind of shrug their shoulders like they were typecast into one of the big fight scenes because they looked like those Vikings, dude. I'm like, that's just piecing this whole thing together. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I'm like, yeah, well, you look like this. These are the kind of gigs you get. I'm like, well, right on. And then that same day, uh, going back to the small town I grew up on, uh, I found a channel that a US. Uh, you know, uh, uh, network that was broadcasting and they were showing the show Cops. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm familiar with Cops. This ought to be fun. I'm sitting there watching it. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I know, I know that gas station. Like, I, I know that tractor supply. And it was, it was taking place in Red Bluff. That's great. <laughs> While I'm sitting in Germany, like the, the triangulation of of the shit that I was seeing on TV, where I was at, and what was happening. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? But it's just one of those, like, you know, just how small the world becomes, I guess. Especially, I mean, I don't know if you found this to be true, but it seems like in, with the touring crew guys, it's like the same, I don't know, a couple hundred people that, that work for every band. And when one band's off, they get passed to another, another band's off, so they're just constantly going around. And that's why all those festivals, it was just like a big, it was like a high school reunion most times. You're like, oh, who am I going to, who am I going to cross paths with today? It's, I miss it. I'm so glad it's coming back. Uh, it's just, his last 15 months have just been brutal. I mean, for Nick, I mean, for all of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, everything's getting going. You're already working. So I think well, I mean, the, the stuff I've got going, yeah, Nick's, Nick's hard at it. My stuff doesn't come in until a little bit later. It's much smaller. They're kind of easing into it uh, with like the caddies and stuff. And then I think uh, Frank's doing punk rock bowling. I think the mad caddies are too. So yeah, it's just going to be, just be good. Just be great to see everybody. It's like this being locked inside for 15 months is just, it's not good for anyone. No. Okay. Uh, uh, very nice to meet you, Nick. And uh, you I'll, I'll be in touch. Thanks yeah. You, my friend. Joel, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon. Good times. Thanks, guys. Later, guys. Yeah. Later. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, 
Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.